good morning. You know, you guys are all sitting down, but I was going to have you all stand back up. And uh, but you know, just a little calisthenics, it's fine. Um, you know, I see I see some uh, new faces in here. I see some that have been taking a little bit of time off this summer and join us back. So why don't you do me a favor, stand up, meet somebody new, take about two minutes to do that, and then we're going to get started this morning. And uh, and we're, yes, you'll see I have a bunch of toys up here, and we'll play with those here in a minute. So meet somebody new. your way back to your seats. No huge rush, but uh, you can start heading that way. And um, you ever had one of those weeks, and, uh, and it seems like 2011 has turned out to be one of those years. Um, but uh, it was funny this week, got to go to San Antonio on vacation this week, and it was, uh, it was hot and muggy and absolutely wonderful, had a great time. Kids love SeaWorld and Six Flags and, and all the fun stuff that we got to do while we were there. And my thing was is we got to go up to uh, this place called Salt Lick Barbecue. And uh, it's in Driftwood, Texas, which is kind of, I guess, southwest of Austin. And uh, they do this huge open pit barbecue. I got a picture of it on my phone because I was really excited. Um, but this huge open pit and they smoke all their meats and it was just great that I could taste a little bit of it. I'm sure that somewhere in life uh, along the line as all the flavor comes back, I'm going back to really experience the way it was supposed to be. We got to do that and I'm not sure, see when I was when I was down and out I watched a lot of Food Network and and the Travel Channel, both of those for whatever reason and uh, they had this TV show on Travel Channel called The Barbecue Paradise and they had all these different barbecue places. That one was on there and there was another one uh, up in Lockhart, Texas, called uh, Smitty's Barbecue and Crute's Market, and there's all these old time. There's four barbecue huge places in this town. It's called the Barbecue Capital of Texas. So of course we went there as well, and um, got to eat there, and it was just just a lot of fun and, and being able to go out. But while I was there, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, transmission went out on our van. Uh, this week, our 
water heater began leaking while we were on vacation. And the girl who's watching our house calls me up and says, I was walking down your hallway, and uh, I'm sloshing in a puddle. And I said, that's, that's not good. Um, so, uh, thankfully, funny thing is, of course, I get on. I have no idea when they say sloshing in a puddle, if it's up the walls, ruining the drywall. I don't know any of those things like that. But um, thankfully, it wasn't too bad because when I got on the phone, we just had our water heater replaced a year and a half ago, so I assumed it was under warranty. Um, well, Lowe's didn't know anything because they're the ones that did it. And so I was supposed to call Whirlpool. Whirlpool said, sorry, we can't do anything for you because that's out of our thing. So I call our insurance agent to say, well, what if? Sorry, if it's not, uh, if it's a manufacturer defect of, of an item, we can't cover it. So I was just like, God, please, <laughs> please make sure there's not too much damage. If nobody's going to cover it, um, we're going to have a lot of moldy drywall in our house. Um, and then after that, uh, our, the girl who's watching our house calls and says, um, your dog got out again. And... Uh, Ended up at the pound and had to pay $50 to get him out. and So it's just, it was a good vacation. We had a lot of fun. And it's just, you know, when you leave, things happen. That's just the way it is. I, I, I was talking with uh, Blaine this morning. He goes, yeah, when we left on vacation, our uh, washing machine hose broke. And it flooded their entire house at one point in time. I said, yeah, it never happens while you're there. It always has to happen while you're not there. So that was a lot of fun uh, to deal with. But at the same time, it was fun to get, get out of town to, uh, to just... Go hang out, have fun, and uh, it was good to be able to do that this week. But I was very excited about being back this week as we are moving into the last two chapters of Ephesians. You'll see I have Mr. Potato Heads up here, and some of you are probably trying to figure out why. Some of you have been introduced to my Potato Head collection before because uh, at one other time I did a, a small talk on Potato Heads. Now, I have, I have some weird collections that I, I like to do. When I, when I was a little kid, I collected baseball cards and football cards. Those weren't, those weren't too weird. But um, before Camden was born, I started collecting Pez dispensers, and that kind of just blew up into this. I have a couple thousand Pez dispensers. Um, they used to be all over my office, but then there wasn't enough room for them, so I just put them all in a box for now. And then um, I started seeing Mr. Potato Heads and they weren't too, too interesting to me. It wasn't like I played with them a whole bunch when I was a little kid. But when I found out they had Star Wars ones, I thought that was really cool. So I started grabbing some here and there. And you'll see, um, here's Darth Tater, um, Spud Trooper, uh, Spudafet, uh, and all the different ones here. And this one here is uh, uh, Chupa, Chipabaca. And, of course, here's Yoda. But it's, it's uh, Mash-ter Yoda instead of Master Yoda. And we have our, our Spider-Man ones and all these. And, and I thought I'd bring them out today because, because um, our whole message today is about taters. And you're going to be like, what, what can we possibly do with taters? W- what is it? Well, um, the, I was actually thinking about getting everybody a Mr. Potato Head to take home with them today and decided that that probably wouldn't be good on the budget. So I decided not to do that. But um, when you see... A Mr. Potato Head. When you watch Toy Story 3 uh, or 2 or 1 and see these Mr. Potato Heads, I want you to be reminded of something today. I want you to be reminded of um, taters. And there's all different sorts of taters in the church. Now, these are fun taters. These are, these are kind of, I mean, this is just, I love this. I love the fact that there's a Darth Tater. I mean, that's just, that's just great to me. And as we look at Darth Tater, there's all different sorts of taters that are out there. Um, I don't even have the, the beginning. If you type in Mr. Potato Head collections and look at people's collections of Mr. Potato Heads, it's ridiculous the amount of stuff that they have. But 
Um, it's just the beginning uh, of the amount of taters that are out there. And if you go down to your local Walmart and you go into the produce section, you'll see there's plenty of taters in there as well. You have your russets, you have your whites, you have your yellows, you have your reds. You have the ones specifically for baking. You have the sweet potatoes, which are my favorites. But um, you, you have all these different taters. And I wanted to start thinking about some of the taters that are in the church. Because there's a lot of taters that are in the church as well. And our first tater I want to talk to you about this morning is dictator. The dictator that is in the church. Because this is the person that, that happens to be in the church. And like I said, these are kind of the fun ones. The ones that we're going to talk about this morning, all but one of them really are not so fun. As a matter of fact, they're the ones we don't really want in the church, but they kind of make themselves into it. They kind of bury themselves into the church. That they, they get in there and they seem to cause more problems than they do good. Even though sometimes they really have a heart that says, I want to do good, they just aren't accomplishing it. So our first thing we're looking at here is dictator. Now, he tries to run everything. And if he isn't running everything, um, he's there telling everybody that it can't get done without him being in charge. One of the great things, one of the great things about churches is when I said it, a name probably popped in your mind of Hopefully a former church. Hopefully not this church. Hopefully a former church. But you know a dictator. And you know that person that has to tell every, everybody how it's to be run. And if it's not run his way, it's not getting run the right way. So we have our dictators in the church. The second tater that we don't really want in the church but is there is our commentator. A commentator. They're the ones that if they're not in charge, they're telling everybody how it could be better if they were in charge. They're the ones that are telling everybody how it should be done. They have to have the last word. They make excuses why something cannot be done or even so much to why they're not involved. Well, the reason why I'm not doing it is because of this, but I'll tell you exactly why, how much better it would be if I were doing it. So we have our commentators. The third one is, and unfortunately, um, unfortunately the church is probably most full of these. The third one is spectators. Our spectators, the ones who like to sit off to the side and just watch like to be a part of, of uh, the process, but not really involved in the process. Um, I'm not sure about you, but how many of you guys like to watch sports? I, I would assume most of you do. I love to watch sports. How many of you talk to your TV as if the, the, the players on the TV can hear you? As a coach, because you know a whole lot more than that coach knows, don't you? Uh-huh, absolutely, without a doubt. And, of course, the referees as well. We're the ones that are yelling at the, at the TV. You know, we're the ones paying for DirecTV to have NFL Sunday ticket to watch it while the coach and the players make more money in that particular game than we will all year. You know, those are the kind of things you look at and you think about. But yet, we're the ones yelling and telling it. Well, that's kind of what the spectator does even in the church as well. They're the ones that sit on the outside They have plenty of opinions, but don't want to get involved, and they don't want to do anything. And I want to let you know this, just kind of a side note. God never called us to be spectators. He never called us to sit, and he never called us just to stand around and watch. Fourth one is, is agitator. Agitator. Now, agitator, they're the one that likes to stir up trouble. They're the one that likes to cause problems. They're the one that likes to kind of keep good things from getting done. And... You know, kind of that washer mentality. They just have to do enough just to, just to kind of mess with everybody. 
It'd be great if they took that special agitation gift that they've been given by God to agitate Satan instead of the church, but they tend to, to do it within the church instead. Fifth one is hesitator. Hesitator. This is a person that knows what they're supposed to do, but waits. And they blame it on prayer. Well, I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit's leading. No, you're not. Okay? Don't, don't lie. God knows. Okay? You, you can say what you want to say. Well, I'm just waiting. No, you're hesitating. And, and hesitating causes problems. And um, God has called us to be, to be prepared in season and out of season and ready to go. But this person doesn't want that. And uh, unfortunately, that person misses out on quite a few opportunities as they hesitate. Our sixth one is the rotator. The rotator. This is the person that, that goes, as they like to say, church shopping. I like to call it church hopping. Because they're just bouncing from place to place because this church offers this during the school year with Awana or whatever it is. And this church offers this. And it's all about me versus being involved and getting in there and getting your hands dirty at a church. And the church is really about them entirely. And that's a, that's a bad place to be at. Now our seventh one, unfortunately, is an amputator. An amputator is a person that's cut themselves off from the church. They'll go to church. They will talk about church. But generally when they talk about church, it's only about the negatives. Because somewhere along the line, the church has hurt them. And it might not even be the church in general. It might be a person within that church. But the church has hurt them. So they, their whole attitude towards God is based on a person that is there. A person that may not be representing God the way he's supposed to be represented. And the amputator, they will cut themselves off and they will only focus on the negative. And that's not good. That's not good. That's not a place we should ever be at. So here's seven taters that really, that really kind of grab us and, and, uh, and, and make things negative. But there's one, one tater that I think that we really need to, to look at today that we do need to be. There's one tater, and um, I'm going to talk about it as soon as we play this video. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. How many of you guys remember that commercial? How many of you guys will have that song in your head for the rest of the day? I, uh, I love the, the verse to that, the first one. It says, sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike, if I could be like Mike. And uh, when I see that and I hear that, that, that commercial came out in 1992. 
as a uh, going into my my senior year of high school when that came out and Michael Jordan I was never a Bulls fan but I've always been a fan of of great athletes and Michael Jordan was a great athlete there's there's no denying that um, the reason why I didn't like the Bulls is because right after that commercial came out they beat the Suns in the uh, in the championship game with uh, with Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley could not quite quite handle him but the whole thing about Michael Jordan was people wanted to be like him. They did. We used to play basketball every day. We'd go up to the park and we'd play all the time. And everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. They wanted to hit the game-winning shot. They stuck their tongue out when they were playing. Um, they, they would do the one-handed up and under, try and swoop and try and go around the back. They'd try and do everything they could to be like Mike. Why? Anybody have any idea why people would want to be like Mike? Because he's amazing, that's why. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Even NBA players wanted to be like Mike. I mean, that's what it boiled down to. And, and the thing is, is we see Michael Jordan, and we see the things that he was able to do. And, you know, Gatorade, they jumped on Michael Jordan at the right time. I'm not sure if you know this, but that was the first commercial that Gatorade put out with a professional athlete involved in it. They had never done a commercial with a professional athlete before, but Michael Jordan was their first one. That was it. And the reason why they went after Michael Jordan was because this new drink called Powerade had come on the market, and they were trying to compete with that, and Coke was trying to get Michael Jordan. So Gatorade, which at that point in time was owned by uh, Quaker Oats, which is kind of funny, um, actually went after Michael Jordan, paid him quite a bit more money, and they put together this commercial. And they played off the idea that everybody wanted to be like Mike. Now, I'm not sure if you were paying attention or not, but those of you who are young enough uh, or old enough understand, Gatorade used to come in glass bottles. Isn't that funny? Um, that's just a side note, but I was kind of laughing when I saw the commercial. I'm like, oh, that was a bad idea. But the, the whole idea of, of Gatorade pushing people who want to be like Mike was, hey, if Michael Jordan drinks Gatorade, then that's... That's what we need to do. We need to drink Gatorade because people really did want to be like Mike. And as you see that commercial, you also see something else. And that is the fact that, that people not only wanted to be like him, they wanted to dress like him, they wanted to play like him, they wanted to drink the same drink that he drank, but they thought, and, and I remember people telling me, well, my own son has told me this, that if you drink the red Gatorade or the orange Gatorade or whatever the specific kind, it actually does give you more power. And it does give you better abilities to do such things. Camden told me the other day, well, Dad, if I drink red Gatorade, I'll be, I can't remember what athlete he saw on the TV, but he's like, if I drink red Gatorade, I'll be able to do that. And I said, that'd be some good stuff if that was the case. And, and the thing is, is that everybody wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. They wanted to imitate everything that he had and everything that he did and everything that he was. Did you know that Gatorade, um, when, when they put this commercial together, their, their main advertising was being dumped on coaches during the Super Bowl? Because only a couple of years earlier, when the Giants had won the Super Bowl, Bill Parcells got a Gatorade bath, and that was the first time that had ever happened, and that was Gatorade's free advertising was getting a Gatorade bath. And they, they jumped to this next level to say, hey, we have to, we have to take it to that next level and, and incorporate Michael Jordan here and get him involved in this because that's how much of a cultural icon that this guy is. 
So they took Michael Jordan. They took him, and Michael Jordan literally took them to the next level of being a sports drink that made you better because people wanted to be like him. The tater we're going to talk about that I think each of us need to understand is being an imitator. To be an imitator. Because our passage today that we're in in Ephesians is two short verses. Two short verses. It's Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. This is what it says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The first two words, imitate God. Imitate God. Now, when we're talking about taters, sometimes the imitator isn't the exact imitator that we need to be. Because sometimes we want to imitate another person in the church because it seems like they have it all together. Or sometimes, as a church, we want to imitate another church because that church is successful in what they're doing. And I know lots of pastors, and I myself have fallen into the trap as well, where they'll go to a conference and they'll hear this great speech or great uh, talk from this pastor whose church is at 5,000, 6,000 people, and they grew to that amount in, in a year and a half, and it's just busting at the seams. And because of that, they want to imitate everything. But there's one thing that I've found and I have to always remind myself of, and you probably know this already, but New Mexico people are different than any other people anywhere else. I found that out even again, it just it came to a realization as I drove through Texas. People there will let you in when you turn your turn signal on. People here, not so much. You turn on your turn signal, it means hit the gas and cut me off. That's what it means. There's a difference in the way we approach things. And when we imitate something, to be able to reach out to a group of people, we can't imitate another church. We can't imitate another person. But you know who we can imitate is God. Because God has called us to imitate Him in love. I would say that is probably the most difficult challenge in all of Scripture, to imitate God. I mean, we're called to imitate Him as dear children. Ephesians 1 through 5 is the reason why he's telling us this. I mean, he comes out and says, imitate God. Why? Well, there's that word in there that I told you a couple of weeks ago. It says, imitate God, therefore. Some of your translations, that's the first word. It says, therefore, imitate God. When we want to find out what that word therefore is therefore, well, it starts out in Ephesians 1. The first thing in Ephesians 1 is we found the richness of our salvation. It's important for every believer to know who he is in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and understand that we've been given every spiritual blessing as it talks about in Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 2 tells us the reason we have our salvation. Why do we have our salvation? Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross for us? Because we can't do it alone. We couldn't do it by ourselves. We had a debt that had to be paid that we could not pay on our own. The beginning of Ephesians chapter 3 talks about that revelation of that salvation and why God did it. 
why God did it for the Jews and the Gentiles so we could have a relationship with him. Then, the second part of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul goes into a prayer talking about how we can tap into this power of the Holy Spirit and how we have Jesus Christ in our lives to be a part of us. In the first part of first, uh, chapter 4, we see the results of living in that light. We see the results of tapping into that power. Then Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says, hey, guess what? Because you have that power, because you aren't what you used to be, don't walk in the way that the Gentiles walk. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Stop taking those bad things and putting them in your life. You have this new life. Put that on, put that into practice and live that way. And Paul goes on in, in chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, and he says, you know, we can live differently because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thing is, it's our choice. So we have this whole idea that is laid out here. We have all this stuff that we're supposed to do. And Paul says, therefore, because of what God has done, because of all the things that you've been blessed with, because you have Jesus Christ in your life, because you have the power of the Holy Spirit to tap into, therefore, imitate God. Imitate God. It's kind of one of those things that we think to ourselves, how is that possible? How can we do that? Well, he tells us in chapter 5, verses 2, to do it by walking in his love. To do it by walking in his love. The whole idea of the word imitate, the whole idea of the, of the word imitate is this whole idea of the Greek word that, that it comes from, and I'm not going to throw out all this stuff. I don't, I don't like to do that. I don't like to try and act like I'm smart because I'm not. I just found out the Greek word was because I was doing studying, not because I was like, oh, I, I pulled out the Greek dictionary and started reading it. Um, the whole idea of, of this word imitate actually comes, it, it, the Greek word is where we get our word mime or mimic from. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but miming is kind of a scary deal to me. There, there's just something that is different about it, the whole paint your face white and wear the white gloves and all the black clothes. There's just something that's a little different about it. But what is the one thing that every mime does or does not do? They don't talk. They don't talk. They completely and totally tell you everything you need to know by their actions. Should that be kind of a Christian's mentality sometimes? Just shut up and do? Because I think sometimes our mouth gets going and we forget that the actions are supposed to follow what we do. And that we, we talk about this big spiritual game, but we don't really live it out. And we do need to, to put into effect the idea of doing and mimicking and doing those things. So how do we do it? Well, the first thing we see is that we see this is a command for God's children. This is a command for God's children. When you were little, did you want to be like your mom or dad? Did you want to dress up in their clothes and do things that they did? Um, did, you, did you have times where you just wanted their approval and you would do anything to get it? 
I would be willing to bet that there was times like that. Now, you may have had some rough patches. Maybe you had a really uh, poor set of parents. I, I don't know. But there's always been a time that, that I remember in my life where I wanted to be like my dad. Or I wanted to be like my grandfather's. Or I wanted something where I could get their approval. And I see it in my own boys now, and I see it in my daughter now. That they do things to try and get my approval. And there's times that I'm like, eh, you know. But there's other times where you just see it lights up their, their whole day when they get approval from dad. That what they're doing is something that is great. Or what they're doing, you know, I can tell Maylee, it's really funny. I tell Maylee this a lot. I say, I say, you're beautiful. And she says, thanks, Dad. And she just gets a smile on her face, unless she's getting her hair done. Because when I say it, she goes, no, I'm not beautiful yet. Not until her hair is actually done. That's her response to me. And, um, you know, there's these times where, where we as children of God should be wanting his approval and wanting to do things for him. Not doing things because some law says that this is what we have to do in order to. Or some church says this is what we have to do in order to. We should want to do it because he loved us so much, all the things that he did for us. Our response should say, I want to please you and I want to do these things. The second thing I want you to see is, is in order to imitate God, we have to know him and his ways. Anybody in here good at charades? Raise your hand if you're good at charades. Come on. You're afraid I'm going to make you do it, aren't you? That's why you're not doing it. I was actually going to, but since nobody raised their hand. Um, has anybody ever played charades in here and gotten a person that they didn't know? Like when they got their little paper, a movie, or a person that they had no idea what it was? If you ever had that opportunity and you have no idea who that person is, how do you imitate or mimic somebody you don't know? You don't. So I take that and say, how can you imitate God if you don't know who he is? If you don't really know God and his love and the things that he is and the things that he represents, how can we imitate him? When Paul says, imitate God, therefore imitate God, well, the reason why is because through the entire chapter of chapter 4, he's telling us all the things, all the things that God is and the things that we could do because we have this new life in us. This new life that we put on. How do we get to know God? A, through His Word. Through His Word. I don't know how many of you take time to read every week, but if you're not, if you're hoping that you get your spiritual buffet on Sunday morning and get everything you need out of it, and then hopefully that'll last you till next Sunday. I'll tell you something. I ate a whole lot of brisket yesterday. I ate a whole, whole lot of brisket. And it was tasty brisket. It was fatty brisket. And it was good. And I liked it. But guess what? I'm hungry today. As a matter of fact, I'm hungry right now talking about brisket. And we tend to think that in the spiritual realm, it's okay to eat once a week. And let somebody else feed us when in all reality is we should be eating every day and we should be feeding ourselves i want to challenge you to do that first of all that if you want to get to know god the first place to get to know about him is in his word the second thing is is we learn by spending time with him 
and listening and talking to him. Those of you who in here who are in a marriage relationship, if you spend no time with your spouse and you never talk to them, what's that do for your relationship? It probably hurts it significantly. The same thing with God. If you don't spend time with him and don't take, take time to talk to him and listen to him, because a lot of times we tell God what to do versus listening to what he wants us to do. What are you going to do? How are we going to do it? How are we going to make it happen? And the other thing I want you to understand is we don't learn about God from listening to other people. You have to fully experience him on your own. You have to get in there. You have to take a hold of what's going on. You know, I, I did youth ministry for a long time. And the times that I could, I could see that dads spent the most time with their sons or, or whatever it might be in that area is when I met the dad. And the reason why that was is because I'd gotten to know their kids most of the times through whatever activities and different events that we did. But when the dad would come, and I'd be like, oh, man, yeah, that, that kid is just like you because they spend so much time together. That's probably one of the biggest compliments I get, um, probably not the biggest compliment that Peyton gets, but the biggest compliment that I get when they say Peyton is exactly like me. Um, I love that fact. I love to, to be able to say that, yeah, that he is. He's, he's got some weird quirks that, that he got from me, unfortunately. You know, if he could spend more time with his mom and get some of her wonderful quirks, that'd be great. But that's not the case. He's, he's too much like me. And, and so, is, uh, so is Camden. And the two of them together, they're just, honestly, that's, that's the best compliment I could get is for somebody to say, yeah, they're just like you. And it scares me a little bit because some of the things I don't really want them to be like. But... But when we look at that, we need to say, or we need to have people tell us, you're just like your father in heaven. You are, you are a spitting image of him. Wouldn't that be a great compliment to have? But it's such a difficult one. Such a difficult one. And, you know, that was one of the things that Paul wanted uh, a couple of months ago. We went through the book of Philippians. Philippians 3.8, Paul says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Is there ever a time that we could say that in our lives? That everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite knowledge of knowing Christ? The infinite value of knowing Christ? I mean, have we ever really considered it valuable to know him? other than our get-out-of-hell-free card? You know, how do we approach that? David, back in Psalm 25, 4 and 5, he says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. How often do we put our hope in God? How often do we say, yeah, all day long? Or do we put all day long, put our hope in our money and the, and the business transactions that we're going through and the, the things at school to get the next grade or whatever it might be. Yeah, school starts this week, by the way, guys, sorry. Um, those things, do we, do we say, God, I put my hope in you when those things fall through? Or do we say, all day long, God, I put my hope in you? Both David and Paul set great examples for us here. They both say, we need to desire to know God and everything about Him. 
desire to know Christ. Well, are we that way? Are we that way? Are we really desiring to know Christ and everything it is? We get to know God by being in His Word. We get to know God by spending time with Him. And the way we also can do it by imitating Him and everything is, once again, walking in His love. Walking in His love. The word love is used so flippantly nowadays. How many of you guys love pizza? Yeah, we love pizza. How many of you guys love your dog? Not mine so much this week, but how many of us love our wives or our husbands? Raise your hand. Better do it. We just use the same word love for pizza as you do for your wife or your husband. We just throw it out there and say love. And we forget what God's love is. John 3.16, I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this. I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'd never noticed it before. But it says, for God so loved the world. And I never had ever grasped the concept of the word so. Because it wasn't that God loved the world, but that He so loved the world. There's that extra emphasis in there that says, it's not just love, but it is this deep, deep love that He would give His one and only Son for us. God so loved the world. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Christ so loved the church that He gave up His life. John 13.34 says, Greater love has no, no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than giving up your life for, for your friends. We see that love throughout Scripture, and when we, we just throw that word out there like, I love pizza, or I love my dog, it kind of takes that word love and breaks it down a little bit. We have to really see the love that God has. I mean, when we look at it, there's an overall definition. There's this, the fact that love is self-sacrificing. It's a caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one loved. Can we really say that that's the way that we love and that's the way that we walk in love and the way that we see these things? I mean, there's five things found in this definition that I want to point out to you about God's love. The first thing is, God's love is costly. God's love is costly. Do you understand how much He paid to love you? Do you understand that he gave up his one and only son for you? That's one of those things that's really difficult to, to wrap your mind around. I mean, he went so far in his love for us that he was willing to give up his one and only son. That is love. And it cost him something. 
There's going to be times in our lives when we are trying to imitate God, when we're walking in this, the footsteps of God, or as Ephesians 4.1 that we talked about even a couple of weeks ago, walking worthy of our calling says, that it says, you know, there's going to be times where we need to put our lives aside for somebody else. There's going to be times when we need to put our pride aside for somebody else. There's going to be times where we need to put our selfishness aside for somebody else. And that's not the American way. But that is God's way. And that is the love that is, first of all, costly. The second thing is, is that God's love is caring. Psalm 103.13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You ever thought about the compassion that God shows for us? I'm just going to admit it to you. I'm an idiot, okay? It's just plain and simple. I'm not, I'm not the smartest person on the planet. I'm, I'm probably moron status. It's pretty much where I'm at. But God loves me anyway. Even when I make the biggest, dumbest mistakes. Even when I fail him miserably. God still loves me anyway. And he cares about me, and he cares about my life, and he cares about the decisions that I make, and he cares about those things. Third thing that we see is that God's love is committed. God's love is committed. Do you ever think there's a point in time where either A, him, or B, Christ, wanted to back out of the deal? I would bet there was probably something. I know that Christ struggled with it. It's in the scriptures. It talks about him saying, hey, not, not my will, but yours, Father. Because we knew that if it's not his will, that his will must have been different than, than God's. And he wanted to do something different, like not get tortured and beaten and killed. Maybe there was another way, is what Christ was thinking. I don't know. In all of his humanness, that's where it's at. But the great thing is, as he was committed to save his people from their sins. And he knew the way it needed to happen. And he was committed to that. And commitment, commitment is the glue that makes love endure. And you probably know that because there's probably times in relationships that you've had that, that you just didn't feel the love. But you knew the commitment was there. And it was time to endure. The next one is, is God's love shows itself. God's love shows itself. It's not just found in the words of, I love you. It is actually seen in the actions. And the final one is, and this one's probably the more difficult one, but God's love is confrontational when needed. God's love is confrontational when needed. You ever heard the term tough love? You know, I, I, love, I love my kids, but the hardest thing to say to them is no. Sometimes. Other times, it's not that hard. But there's times when it's just difficult to say no. And there's times when it's difficult to, to, uh, to not want to, you know, just let them do what they want to do. There's times that it's difficult to punish them. But if you really think about it, if you don't take time to, to punish when needed, what's that do for them? Makes them spoil brats. Makes them do have free run of the house and free run of whatever they want. And when that happens, man, we're in trouble. 
Christ, Christ loved the church enough to sanctify her. And that sanctification process didn't happen just because he died on the cross, but it's a process of us going through and learning the ups and downs. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5.27 that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks says that Christ might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. There's a process that we have to go through. There's a process that we're going to have to go. And sometimes, sometimes there's going to be a time where incorrect behavior is going to have to be dealt with. When sins in our lives are going to have to be dealt with. And there's going to be times where we have to confront somebody, a friend that is doing something wrong. Is that the easy thing to do? No, it's not. But sometimes it's going to be necessary. But that's God's love. It's costly. It's caring. It's committed. It shows itself. And it's even confrontational when needed. And this is the love that we need to walk in and show to others. Now, my question for you today as we wrap up is, what kind of tater are you? Of all the taters that we've talked about, are you the agitator or the hesitator or the commentator or the spectator? Or are you the imitator? Are you the one that is wanting to imitate God and show His love to a world that needs to see it? Are you doing it with your actions? Or are you just doing it with your words? All questions worth asking yourself today. When we reflect God's glory, it will light up this dark world. It really will. So my challenge for you today is imitate God. Be an imitator. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your love for us. The fact that you so so loved us that you gave your one and only son for us. And Lord, as we think about the things that you have done and we think about the things you'd like us to do, I pray that you're moving in our hearts. I pray that you're moving in our minds to get to know you better. To take time in your word. To take time in sitting and talking to you. And listening to you. And just getting to know you. So we know the love that you have for us and the love that you have for the rest of this world. Help us to imitate you. Help us to walk worthy of the calling that we have. We pray it in your name, Lord. Amen. Now this morning, I don't know how God's talking to you, but I know even throughout this week as I was working on this message, it, it was one of those that was, yeah, I know the right answer. I just don't know if I really want to do it. Because imitating God is not something that is easy. Because if it was, everybody would do it. But imitating God is something that, that we're called to do. And it does mean that we have to lay some of our things aside to be more like Him. I don't know if you need somebody to pray with you. I don't know if uh, you're struggling with some issues that, that are keeping you and God from, uh, from being on the same page. But I'm going to step back to the back, and I'd love to pray with you during our, our, our closing song here. And um, 
just just want to thank you for being here. I do appreciate it, and I hope God is speaking to you. I know that uh, that we're going to have some great things coming up. I know that God's doing some things already, and I know that's the reason why that uh, all the crazy stuff's been going on in my life, and I'm sure you've had some crazy stuff going on in your life because um, the way I've always seen it is that um, the only time you're going to have to fight upstream is when you're going against the flow. And, uh, and, and I'm not one for going with the flow of, of what the world has to offer. And we're going to fight against it, and we're going we're gonna to keep pushing on to reach this community for Christ. And um, looking forward to what, what's going to happen over the next weeks and months and even years. So, um, like I said, if you need some area of prayer and, and how we imitate God and how you imitate God, uh, I'd be happy to pray with you back in the back. But, Jerome?